So our intention in this series called Legacy, everybody say Legacy, is to make an investment in the world in which we live that long after we are gone, the life that we lived here on this earth will outlive our life. Amen. We want to leave a deposit, an investment, not a cost, not an expense, an investment. Life is about investing in other people. It's not about what you have. It is about what you give. Amen? We have, we've got it backwards. We judge success based on what we have. But a true success in a true kingdom-minded person is based on what we give and the impact that we have made in other people's lives. That's what they talk about. Come on, give him praise. That's what they talk about after we're gone. Not how we were born, not how we died, but what the difference that we made in the people that we love while we were here. Amen? The Bible tells us in Psalm 112, verses 1 through 6, you can flip that worship guide over on the back side, help us take some notes. But Psalms 112, verses 1 through 6 is our theme uh, passage for our series called Legacy. It's talking about a man, an upright man or an upright woman of God who is an, a big picture-minded person, a legacy-minded person. It says, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man or woman who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. Watch this. His descendants will be mighty. It doesn't just mean there'll be many. It means there'll be great. There'll be greatness in them. It will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteousness. A righteous, a good man, watch this, deals graciously and lends. He's a giver. A good man is a giver. He's not a taker. He will guide his affairs. You need to underline that in your Bible. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Do you know what that means? He is intentional about the journey that he is on. He is intentional about the steps that he takes. The steps of a good man, the Bible says, are ordered of God. You get up every day and you let God order your steps, you will be intentional. You will, God will never order your steps in a direction that is all, all about you. He will always order your steps in a direction to make an impact in someone else's life. What good is it? It's a waste of breath. It's a great waste of time for God to just order your steps to make you feel good about yourself and successful and feel successful and make no deposit in someone else. Because here's the reality. We are here for a purpose. And that is to make a difference and in in, in advance the kingdom. Hallelujah. He will never be shaken, and the righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. Can I get an amen? Psalm 13, 22 says a good man or a good woman leaves an inheritance, not just money, but he leaves a deposit. He leaves an investment on every level, not just to his children, but to his children's children. We said it during this entire series. The minimum level of legacy for a believer is the third generation. That's the minimum. We should be thinking now about our grandchildren, not just about our children, but about our grand. I ain't got no grandkids. Some of y'all say, I ain't got any kids. Well, watch this. Here's the reality. Most of us are going to have kids, and most of our kids one day are going to have kids. But even if you never have kids in your life, there are spiritual sons and daughters all around you that, and children and grandchildren that God wants you to pour into. Now, for the next few minutes, I'm going to talk about a couple of things. I need to uh, give a disclaimer and just, and up, up front. Some of the things I'm going to talk about, 
you don't typically hear in a pulpit. People are afraid to preach on controversial things nowadays. People are afraid to tell you what the Bible says. But I got to I, I, listen, you, you, can do it, you can do it with love and you can do it with hatred. And if you've been coming to this church for any amount of time, you know this one thing about Solid Rock Church. There ain't no hatred in this house. And I'm not going to preach hatred. I've never preached hatred. I'm not going to. It's just, I'll, I'll never preach against anyone. I'll never preach an, against another church. I'm just going to preach for you, not against you. And I'm going to preach to you what God's Word says and not what Larry Ragland's opinion is. If it's my opinion, I'll say this is a gospel according to Larry or something like that. I'll let you know up front uh, Larry Ragland's unauthorized translation. Praise God. But if it's in the Bible... I'm not going to try to make the Bible say something that it doesn't say. Are you hearing me? And I'm not going to try to add or take away from the Word of God. But here is the reality. Today is part four of our legacy series, and it is simply called family. We talk about SRC family here, but I want to talk to you about the impact that a mother and a father makes upon their children, their sons and their daughters. In fact, our legacy... In our children, our children receive on many levels the identity of who they are early, as adults when they are children. Many times uh, you, you've probably said this, whether you had a good relationship or a bad relationship with either or both of your parents, or even if you didn't have parents, there was some kind of adult figure that was a guardian in your life that filled that same void. And when you became an adult, you found yourself either saying something like this, oh, good God Almighty, I'm turning into my mama, or Lord, have mercy, I've never thought it, I'm turning into my daddy. Never thought I'd ever do this. But why? Why is it? And why is it that that we, in difficult situations, when like myself, where I was physically and verbally and mentally abused by my father, I proclaimed and proclaimed and proclaimed all over my life. Well, I can tell you one thing. If there's anything I will not become, I will not become that. But guess what I became? That. Because here's the reality. that There were deposits made in me that without God stepping in and changing the situation, it is inevitable because I am the legacy of my father. And my mother. But when it comes to identity, we have an identity crisis in this country. The first thing on your notes is simply this. Uncertainty of identity is one of the most dangerous places to be. I'm going to say it again. Uncertainty of identity is one of the most dangerous places to be. When, when I preach about purpose, and I preached about it, I think, last week or week before last, where purpose is unknown, abuse is inevitable. When you don't know the purpose of something, you will abuse it. You will try to make it do something it was never intended to do. You'll take a key and turn it into a pry bar, trying to pry the top of something off, and the key breaks, and you get mad at the key. And the key is like, that was not my purpose. You're trying to make me into something I was not created to be. And when someone is not sure of who they are, they're, open, they're an open door for the enemy and the rest of the world to try to come in that door and try to tell them who they are. Am I preaching right? Say amen. There is a crisis in our generation. It's invading every part of our society. People are afraid to speak 
on politically incorrect things. And one of the things that is happening in our country right now and all around the world but really prevalent in our country is issues with gender. Now, before I go any further, if you're watching this online, if you're in here right now, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm not going to preach against anyone who is in the middle of, of, of dealing with issues of gender. I'm not here to judge you. I'm not here to preach, preach down to you. I'm not going to, but what I'm going to say may be uncomfortable. But I'm going to say it, and I'm glad to get amens. But if you're watching online, if you're listening on the podcast, if you hear this church shout amen, if they're not shouting amen because they're, they're hateful. They're not shouting amen because, yeah, we got a pastor that's going to beat them up and tell them like it is. No, this church shouts amen to what the Word of God says. Not to Pastor Larry's Word, but what the Word of God says. Why would you preach on gender? I'm, on, I'm not preaching on gender today, but I'm going to take just a moment here to tell you something, if you love your pastor, shout amen. It may shock you to know that there are close to 10 states right now considering legislation. One particular state is not just considering it. One half of their government structure, you got the Senate and the House, and the one half of their state legislators have already passed the bill. Now it is waiting for the other half to pass the bill. If it passes, this bill will be has already been said by the governor he will sign it. This is what the legislation is. The removal of a gender choice on the birth certificate of every child that is born in that state. Now you say, well, who am I to say what, any, what a parent decides to do? Here's the reality. Children are going to be born in this state if this goes through. I'm praying that it doesn't, but if it goes through, here's why I'm praying that it doesn't. It's because a child, the doctors, the nurses, the parents, no one is going to be able to say, it's a boy. It's a girl. Quite frankly, I'm trying to be as nice as I can. They barely even want to say it's a baby. But once it is a baby... That baby is innocent. Are you hearing me? That baby is innocent. That baby is who God made that baby to be. The baby can't talk. The baby can't do anything. But lay there and be dependent on those around him to give him a sense of a purpose. But we're going to say to that child, no matter how anatomically they come into this world with male parts or female parts, we're going to say to that child, Ever how long it takes you, we'll never call you a boy and we'll never call you a girl. You get to tell us what you are. Now listen to me. This is not hateful. I'm trying to help you understand something. This is not, if you know someone who, who, who is in that situation, uh, listen, you've got to love them. This is, not, this is not fuel for you to go back and, and, oh, my pastor said, no, 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 my pastor didn't say that. Listen, before I'm, you wait till you, you hear me out before you tell them what your pastor said. Okay? Some of y'all already tweeting. Don't tweet anything right now, okay? Wait, hold out. This is interesting to me, and this is not judgmental, but you may or may not know this is going on. Increasingly, there are gender therapists and gender physicians. These are, these are titles. Who are now arguing before medical boards that children as young as nine years old 
be prescribed. This is real. This is not fake. I don't preach it unless I've verified it. Puberty-blocking drugs. As young as nine years old, to hold off puberty, to give the nine, 10, and 11-year-old kids more time to figure out what they are, boy or girl. Now, now I'm not going to spend a whole sermon on this. I'm trying to show you something. The next thing in your notes is this. We have an identity crisis on many levels. On many levels. The Bible tells us, listen to me very clearly, that God does not give us the spiritual first and then the natural. The first Corinthians tells us that he gives us the natural first to teach us the spiritual. In other words, what is going to happen in the spiritual world for us to understand it first happens in the natural so that we can use a natural example to understand what's happening in the spiritual. Are y'all hearing me? Let me give you a real quick, quick example. Jesus says things like this. You shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of living water. We know we're not a tree. But we understand what that means. We understand. We can look at a tree. We can see it planted next to the river. And we can know that no matter what kind of drought comes, the roots that are on that tree go down deep enough where it taps into that water. That tree's going to be okay. So he, so he uses a tree to say, hey, look, you need to be like that tree. Make sure you got roots near living water. And we say, oh, got it, God. Nicodemus, a great religious expert of, of, in the time of Jesus, snuck to Jesus in the middle of the night and said, listen, I want to find out what, it must, what, it, what I have to do to be a part of your kingdom. He said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus was freaked out. Why did he say that? Nicodemus, what do you mean born again? Because he didn't understand in the, in, the, in the natural. He said, do you mean I need to go back inside my mother and come back out of my mother again? This is in your Bible. Nicodemus said, no, no, no. What I'm trying to help you is understand is what, what is born of the natural is natural. What is born of the spirit is spirit. But you'll get it one day. What I mean is when you relinquish your life to me, I want you to think about how a baby is born and how a baby has to learn to talk, learn to walk, has to be dependent on those that care about them. That's what you're going to be like when you give your life to me. You're going to have to drink the milk of the word. Come on, you hear me? Then you can eat the steak. You can't be born again on one day and start digging into the T-bone. Amen. you got to learn how to have solid foods. So he uses natural to teach us spiritual principles. So what I'm trying to tell you is this. The identity crisis that we are seeing happen in the spirit realm, where people don't know who they are in God, is a direct reflection of a willingness and an openness in the society of which we have lived in for generations, started years generations ago, and now the church has embraced it to where they are so hands-off and they're so afraid to touch any hot topic issues. They want to make everybody feel wonderful and cozy and sweet and warm and butterflies inside that what they don't realize is that is happening out there in the natural of confusion of who they are and it is spilling over into the spirit realm. I've said it before, I'll say it again, the most powerful force in this entire world is Holy Spirit himself. Nothing can stand against the Holy Spirit. But the second most powerful force in this world is a man or a woman who knows who they are in God. When, come on, give him praise right now. That's a good place to shout. Listen, when you know who you are in God, nothing 
can discourage you. Nothing, no diagnosis, no determination, no end result can stop you from being who God has called you to be. Huh? She put this handheld mic in my hand today because my other mic messed up and it made me think like I'm back in the tent revival. Praise God. I'm, I'm feeling like a tent revival preacher coming on. So now watch this. God did not create, watch this, a white race, a black race, an Hispanic race, an Asian race, a Native American race. Do you understand that if he did that, if he created, if he literally said, my purpose is to separate people by race, then we can't claim, any of us can't claim that we're created in his image. Are you hearing me? Boy, I tell you, I'm getting off my sermon right now. I'm about to get in trouble. I can tell you, I'm right now, I'm walking off some stuff here. But here's the reality. People have asked me for years and years and years, why is Jesus, why do you not got a single picture of Jesus hanging on the wall anywhere in this church? It's our fifth building. We ain't never had Jesus hanging on the wall ever. And people say, why? Why don't you have Jesus hanging up? I'm not judging churches that got Jesus hanging up on a pane of water, but here's the reality. Here's why we did it, because I've never seen myself as a church. It's just a church of one race. And if you go to a white church, Jesus is usually white. If you go to a black church, Jesus is usually black. You go to an Asian church, and Jesus is now an Asian. Come on, somebody. You go to a Spanish church, and lo and behold, he's an Hispanic Jesus. Because everybody, Jesus, he's Jesus. <laughs> here's the reality. We spend all of our time trying to make Jesus look like us instead of trying to make ourselves look like Jesus. Somebody give him praise. I don't care what color his skin was. I could care less. That's nothing to do with me serving him. Huh? Are you hearing me? So when you know who you are in God, when you've got your identity in place, then you're confident. Amen. Watch this, Genesis 1.27 says this. So God, listen to this, created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, watch this, male and female, he created them. I didn't say it. So in other words, he was intentional On many levels, he said to Adam, it is not good for man to be alone, therefore he made a woman. Listen, do you know what the word woman, where we get the word woman? I know y'all ain't going to like this, but the word woman is a slur of womb man. It is a slur of a term that means a man with a womb. Now watch why it says that. It's because in the spirit realm... The Bible says if you go on and read in Genesis chapter 3, he goes on to say male and female in the natural, he created them and called them Adam. A lot of people don't even know this in the Bible. He called them Adam. He didn't call Eve Eve. Adam called Eve Eve. Because in the natural, they were created to complement each other. I don't have to break it down. Are y'all hearing me? The two shall become one flesh. That's not just spiritually speaking. Well, this microphone's working. Now, male and female created him. Now, watch this. 
We are creating a legacy of confusion. The legacy that our generation is going to leave behind us when we're gone, if we don't do something quick, we are leaving people behind who are completely confused on every level. They are confused who they are in God. They are confused who they are in their gender. They are confused who they are in God and in what God's intends for them in, in their marriage, in their life, in their family, in their perspective of everything in life. But you know what? It's really not their fault. It's the, it's the church's fault because the church does not want to preach what God's Word said. Now, I'm going to say this with, with respect. Now i got to kick into turbo gear. Listen, many, many, many years ago, I was preaching, I was teaching a marriage series. And it was well before the time when our country was deciding on gay marriage and some other things. And a lot of people were asking me my opinions on things like that. And I said, well, look, I don't think it's proper for me to give you my opinion on that. I just need to share what, share with script, what Scripture says. And then you decide on your own. I'm just going to tell you what Scripture says. So I did that. But one of the nights I was teaching, this is what I said. I'll never forget it. No one was talking about gender confusion or issues or whatever. And I said this. Let me tell you something. I, I said, church, you need to understand something. They're, they're, going to, they're going to approve. They're going to approve marriage, uh, homosexual marriage. And I said, but here's the reality. That's not the end game. The end, and I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm inside. My spirit is just leaping inside of me because I'm not trying to offend anyone i don't i'm feeling really weird right now but i i gotta go there will you help me will you help me just will you help me share my heart because here's the reality i'm trying my best not to sound like one of those preachers uh-huh he's just like them look at him if hate feel that's not what this is i said listen you gotta understand what the end game is the end game is not that that is the first step because marriage is an institution that was created by god are you hearing me it's an institution that was created by God. So therefore, the first step to attacking God is to attack the institutions that he put in place. The second step and the ultimate goal, I said right here, I think it was like one of the first months that we were in this building, believe it or not, almost five years ago. I said, here's what you're going to see. Out of nowhere, once this is approved, the next phase is going to be the removal of gender to where there is no gender said this almost five years ago. And I said, here's why. Not because of the issues that the people are dealing with. It is because if you remove gender, then you have attacked directly the creation of God. You have, you have attacked directly the creation of life. Let me tell you something. I'm going to blow your mind here. If you believe in God and you believe in the Word of God, this is a tough thing to hear, but you need to hear this. Your mama and your daddy did not make you. You say, well, wait a minute, my mom and daddy got together. I, let me tell you something. I don't know if you ever met your mom and daddy or not, but I promise you, your mom and daddy got together. They might, they might have got together in a good way. They might have gotten together in a bad way. But what, I'm going to tell you something. Your mom and daddy got together. You say, well, no, no, no. My mama bought, I was born out of a test tube, uh, some frozen stuff in a, there's still a daddy somewhere. Come on, somebody. They might not have got together, but there's a daddy. How do I know that? That's the way God created it. Okay? Now listen. But your mom and daddy, if, if you, especially if you had a, you know, a family, you were with your family and you were born out of that family, your mom and daddy got together many times and you didn't come. 
You didn't come in this world. Come on, somebody. How many of you weren't born in this world? All of a sudden, they didn't just decide, you know, this is going to be the night that we're going to have Judy. Come on, you hear me. They, 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 just, they just come back from a date night. Come on, somebody. Whatever. They just got through watching a movie or something. I don't know. But, you know, but what was different about that night than all the other nights? One guy on the radio said, doing laundry. That's the way he, he says, if you got kids in the car, we're just going to call it doing laundry. So, that night, God said, it is time for you. Remember what the Word of God said? The Word of God said, before you were ever formed in the womb of your mama, I knew you. Then he went on to say, and I called you by name. In other words, he knew what your mama and your daddy were going to name you. Therefore, he knew who you were supposed to be. Are y'all hearing me? But when we let our kids, mamas and daddies, listen to me. When we let our kids come in this world and we take a hands-off approach on everything, I'm not talking about you know, giving them a place to find themselves. But here's, you send them out into this world. You say things like this. This is, this is where it started, really, and it evolved into a much epic problem right now. But I remember when I was a kid, you'd hear mamas and daddies, well, you know what? You, he's got to go sow his wild oats and he's got to go find himself. Let me tell you, if you ever let a kid, regardless of their age, go find themselves, they will never find themselves they'll find something but they won't find themselves they won't know their purpose therefore they will abuse themselves just like with the key am I preaching right so here's the reality you ain't gonna like it but here's the reality maybe you will like it but here it is When you say, I know they say I'm a boy or they say I'm a girl, but I'm not a boy and I'm not a girl. I'm really 100% girl, even though they said I'm a boy. Listen, I'm saying this with as much love as possible, but somebody's got to say this. Here's the reality. If you say that, then you are saying, knowing that your mom and daddy didn't make you, but God did. you, you got to at least put that factor in. If you take you don't believe in God, it's, it's, this is irrelevant to you. But if you believe that there is a God, and you say that, then this is what you're saying. God, you've got it wrong. You made a mistake. And here's what I want to say to you that, to drive this point home to you. If God has ever done that one time, you need to hear me. One time. If he's ever got it wrong one time, then I don't want to serve that God. Because here's the reality. How am I going to know? How am I going to trust in any of his promises? So we have to find our purpose in God. We have to trust him. We have to trust him no matter what we feel, no matter what somebody told us. Now watch this. If you don't believe in God, then this is irrelevant to you. You are going to call me a hate monger. You're going to say that I don't get it, that I'm old-fashioned. But if you believe in God, then you need to have a faith in God that our God doesn't make mistakes like us. See, the next thing on your notes is this. The legacy of manhood and womanhood starts with the boy and the girl. 
I'm 50 year old. I'm 50 year old man, y'all. But I'm gonna tell you something. When I went back and read my book, when I read my book for the last time to be able to sign off on it, I wrote every word that was in it. It was my life. It's 50 years old. I sit there in that hotel room reading that book and cried, sobbed, shaking, crying so hard because I was still living. What was done to me as a child, it made that kind of impact on me. Many boys are not becoming men because they never had a man in their life. And if they did have a man in their life, he was an absent father. And if he, even if he was in their life and even not an absent father, he never showed them affection, he never showed them love, and he never told them what it means to be a man. I didn't have that in my life, but I did have some uncles, and I did have my granddad. And I do remember, vaguely, but I do remember conversations that started off something like this. Son, Larry, I know you don't care about this now, but one day... When you become a man, you're going to be faced with this, dot, dot, dot. Some of your mamas, young ladies said that to you. Some of your mamas raised you as a single mama like my mama raised me as a single mama for my, most of my entire life. And she had to, she had, with everything that was in her, she had to be a, the best mom in the world and try to fill the void of being a father in my life as well. But she'll tell you, you can do all you can. But you can't be that fatherly man figure to them. So as single moms, let me tell you something. What we need to do is we need to pray for God, for your sons and your daughters, for God to send godly men from within the body of Christ to impart and to pour into your kids. Not to spend private time with and all that. That's freaky and weird. I'm just talking about just being kind to them. Appropriate. And this is good preaching. Say amen. It's one of them. I'm gonna, I'm gonna feel like I took a beat when I get through. But listen, ladies, we want you to be strong women. Strong, huh? Y'all know I'm married to a strong woman, don't you? That woman, she'll jack slap you in a heartbeat. That woman don't play. In fact, she outworks. Most every man in this house, you mean, oh, you ain't going to work me. You ain't work with my wife. And the men in this church that have know what I'm talking about. We used to have work days here at the church, and I'd split up, and I'd take one team, she'd take another team, and we'd work all day long. I promise you this is the truth. I had people come up to me, and we, I'd bring them biscuits and stuff, and we'd all be sitting around eating a biscuit, and then we'd divide up into two teams. And I had guys, while they're eating the biscuit, sort of sliding over to me and go, I want to be on your team. I'm serious. I'm, guys, go, can I be on your team this week? Don't put me with her. I'm serious. So I'm all about strong women. My mama was one of the strongest women to this day I've ever met in my life. But in the, in the midst of strong women, we've, we've now turned femininity into almost like a curse word. Now it's, it's, you, don't, you don't want to teach your girls what it means to, to be a girl. We want to teach them, no, you need to be a boy. But there's some things about, there's a reason that God made us the way we are. There's powers, power in the things that God put in us. There are things that I cannot do as a man that you can do as a woman. And vice versa. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm not talking about physical things. I'm not talking about jobs. 
You can do anything I can do. But I'm talking about when it comes to nurturing, when it comes to pouring in and making investments in our kids, there are things in me as a man, there are things in you as a woman that God wants to use individually to help shape and mold our kids. Go ahead and give them a shout of praise. See, the next thing on your notes, and i got to hurry, man, is the enemy has sought to redefine, has always sought to redefine what God has already defined. The enemy has always sought to redefine what God has already defined. We, we see that. If you really want to know the nature of the devil, the best thing for you to do is to see the first time we ever hear him talk. Because his nature was what got him in trouble and got him kicked out of heaven. He was Lucifer. He was the, one of the archangels who led praise and worship. But he began to redefine what worship is. Worship is, is supposed to be all about the creator and God. He redefined worship to be a performance. And it's still, honestly, that same spirit is manifested in churches every week. He turned it on himself about his performance before the throne, and he convinced a third of the angels to believe in his ability and talent over the God that they were worshiping, and he pulled it, and he convinced, how did he convince them? He convinced them to say, listen, this is, this is what worship really is, and he redefined worship. But what's the first time we ever hear him talk? Genesis chapter 3, it's right when the fall happened. It says, now the serpent was more cunning or sneaky. How many of those the devil is sneaky? The devil's not going to come to you in a red suit with pointed ears and a pitchfork and have a bottle of strychnine poison in his hand, knock on your door and say, hey, I'm the devil, I'm Lucifer, old Slewfoot, I brought some poison here, drink. You know what we'll do? I don't care the, the brand new born again Christian. People ain't even Christian, ain't even going to church. I rebuke you, devil, get out of my house. You know what he's going to come in for me? He's going to come in for me. If, you, if, you, if you're looking for a man, he's going to come with the best looking man you've ever seen. If you're looking for a woman, he's going to come with a sexy mama. And he's going to bring you a drink that's your favorite drink. And he's going to put a little drop of strychnine poison in it so you can't even taste it. And you're going to drink your favorite drink. He said, I got more of that. And over time, little by little by little, he will poison you. That's how sneaky he is. But watch this. He's more cunning than any beast in the field. Watch this. And he said to the woman, this is what the first word, has God really said has God really said, because I hear you say it every day that we can't eat of this tree. Has God really said that, that you can't eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent. That's one of the first times that we, all, we know we're getting in trouble when we're having conversations with the devil. You're already in a bad place. Don't be having conversations with the devil. Only conversation you have with the devil is a one-way conversation. You hear him talk, you need to rebuke that devil. The Bible said rebuke the devil, he'll flee. Mm-hmm, yeah. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the trees in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it. How many of us, he made it very clear. There's no debating. He did say that, right? Do not eat of this tree. So you, can, you can't make that say anything else. But what he didn't say is that, he, that they couldn't touch it. But she said he did. He never said you can't touch it. He said you can't eat of it lest you die. The serpent said to the woman, listen to these words. You will not surely die. For God knows. See, that's what happens. People start using Scripture, twisting Scripture, and start speaking on behalf of God. And they don't even know what they're talking about. 
For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Mm -hmm. So when the woman saw, watch this, that the tree was good for food, flesh. It was pleasant to the eyes, flesh. And a tree that's desirable, flesh, to make one wise, flesh. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So before the glory of God had covered them, now because of their decision to, re, to listen to the devil's redefining of their access. This is how he twisted it. He don't want you to eat this tree because right now, see, you, you don't understand God the way I understand God because I've been with God a lot longer than you was with God. I was there. I'm telling you, I was one of the first ones that he created. I've seen God, and I know, oh, yeah, he's a good God. Let me tell you something about it, though. He's, he's sneaky. He, he knows. He gotta, he's he's got to keep something for himself. You were created in his image, so he can't give you everything. So he's got to keep knowledge of good and evil in his pocket. He's got to keep that from you because he knows that he ever, if you ever found a way to get that, you would be God. So, so I know what he said to you, the words he used, but because I know him better than you, I just feel, I just feel led of the Lord to share with you what I think he meant. See, when you allow yourself to go down that road and you allow the enemy to redefine what God has already clearly defined, you will come back after having someone try to help you and you'll say something like this well I'll be honest with you I appreciate your help but I prayed about it and I felt God tell me that I was okay and it's almost like it's hard to come back against somebody that says they've heard God but can I tell you something I'm talking I'm not talking about the situation we're speaking I'm talking to you and me if you ever say that or you ever think that you heard God say anything that is against the word of God, you did not hear God. Well, we are an enlightened society, Pastor. This was written thousands of years ago. We have to look at this through enlightened 2018 eyes. Well, where in the word of God did it tell us if that's what we really believe is how we learn about God, did it ever give us permission to change the lenses on how we look at the Word of God and through, through, through the filter of a modern enlightened society? Mm-hmm. Getting quiet in here. Y'all shout me down a while ago. So when we allow God, when we, excuse me, when we allow the enemy to define, redefine what God has already clearly defined, then what comes out of that is a legacy of confusion. Is it any wonder that we don't see miracles anymore in most churches in America? Because the furthest thing from anybody's mind when they come to church is a miracle. 
They want to go get their little church service, a little one-hour church service in. I'm not being critical of any other church. I'm just one-hour, 90-minute service. They want to get the little worship. They want to feel good about themselves, dropping something in the offering plate, say amen to the preacher, and write a few notes, down, then get back in our car and go back into our own decision of how we're going to live our lives and feel justified before God because we've given God his 90 minutes. Therefore, we can decide to do whatever we want to do on our own, thinking just like Adam and Eve, man, when they did that, they had to take what the natural now, they still knew before they didn't even know they needed to be hid because their identity was defined by God. God didn't even let them even know that they were naked. But the moment that they chose to let the enemy redefine it, instead of feeling like God, they felt shame because they knew it wasn't right. So nobody even told them it wasn't right. They just knew it wasn't right. So before God ever showed up in your Bible, they start pulling leaves off of a tree and they start trying to hide themselves. God walks in the garden. He already knew. He already knew all of it. He's giving them a chance to repent. He walks in the garden and says, hey, where are you? Can I just say to you right now, the Lord want me to say some of y'all, where are you? Where are you? What happened to the old you? What, what, what happened to the man or woman of God? Why are you hiding? You used to meet with me. Come on, somebody. You used to get up and walk with me. Where are you? Where are you? Well, I'm hiding. Okay. Why are you hiding? Never told you to hide. The way I made you, you had no purpose to hide. Who are you hiding from? Hiding from you, God. Number one, you can't hide from me. Number two, why would you hide from me? You look just like me. I covered you in my own glory. Why would you hide from me? Because we're naked. Next words out of his mouth is powerful. Who told you you were naked? I never called it naked. It was you. Never looked at you and said, well, we made him naked. Did you think about that, Father, when we did this? We didn't realize they were naked. It wasn't like God just said, what, you're naked? I didn't know. Huh? He made him naked. They didn't need clothes. They already had clothes called the glory. He said, who told you were naked? In other words, the condition and their being and their identity in the natural never changed. They looked exactly the way they did the day before. They had allowed themselves to be told they were naked by someone who had no right to tell them anything about them. Uh-huh. Is that true, Adam? It's true. But I'll be honest with you, it was that woman you gave me. Never would have done it without that woman. You know, you know what he was saying by that? By him saying it was that woman, he was saying, it's your fault, God. You knew all this was coming, and you still let it come. So in other words, you made this this way. It's your fault, God. 
God said, hmm, so that's what you think. Eve, what do you say for yourself? It was the serpent. God made the serpent. God was like, okay, I knew this was going to happen. This is why I'm known as you don't get it yet, but you'll get it one day. That's why before we ever did any of this, we said within ourselves, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, I'm the Word, and I said to the Father, I'll become the Lamb, and I'll die for them all. Because I will refuse, because I know what they're going to do. They're going to decide on their own. They're going to decide to try to redefine themselves. But, but I'm gonna, I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go down there and become one of them, and I'm going to show them by example how you're supposed to walk. And then, I, then I'm going to finish it once and for all. Last thing on your notes is this. The legacy of manhood and womanhood is really a legacy of family. Watch this. Jesus, isn't it amazing that he says for, Paul says this in the book of Romans, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, he's given them power to become the sons of God, the children of God. Isn't it awesome that he's called Father? Isn't it awesome that we're called his children? Because the kingdom of God is a family. So we're sons and daughters. We are his legacy. I don't know if I said it at this service or not. Sometimes they blur into each other, but here's the reality. You may think that this message is a message about your small children. This is a message about your children. I don't care if you're 80 and your kids are 60 and they got grandkids of their own. If you are alive and your kids are alive or your grandkids are alive, you are to continue to invest and pour and mold. If you're not careful, you'll find yourself saying things like this. Well, you know what? I had my shot. He's a grown man now. She's a grown woman now. They, make their, they got their own bills. They got their own kids. They got their own problems to deal with. There's nothing I can do about it now. Oh, no, 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 no. If you'll make yourself available to your kids, regardless of how old they are, they will meet things in their life that they'll have to make their own decision, but they'll meet things in their life. My oldest daughter, Lizzie, it blesses me so much. She'll face things as a married adult woman. She has a tremendous, tremendous, I mean, I could not ask for a greater son-in-law. Alex is incredible. And they do they go through so many things together that we don't know about because that's what happens in married life. But there'll come, there'll come times and she'll call me up and she'll say, Daddy, can I talk to you? She's like, I just need your advice. What I'm facing at work or something, how am I supposed to handle this, Dad? Man, every single time, it's just like, oh, thank you, God. My kids, they still want to hear from their dad. It's never too late, man. You hear me? You hear me? It's never too late. <sighs> so wherever our kids are at, the worst thing you can do, if any of them are battling any kind of 
you know, whether it be a gender issue, whether it be a sexual orientation issue, whatever it is, the worst thing in the world you can do is to come with a preaching spirit and a judgmental spirit and excommunication. What kind of parent are you to kick out your kid because of confusion that's in their life? You need to love them. So the worst thing you can do is kick them out. But the second probably worst thing that you could do is to look at them and say, okay, well, you're my child, and because you're my child, whatever you decide that you feel like is right, then I just want you to know your mom and your dad is 100% okay with it. Listen, you need to be 100% loving, never judgmental, whether they ever decide to, to go in, a, in the direction that you feel like they need to go or not. That will never change how you love them. That will never change how you are their mother and their father to them. But when the opportunity opens, you have got to let God use you in a loving and compassionate way to help them find their identity in God. Because here's the reality. Where abuse is unknown, where purpose is unknown, abuse is inevitable. They will continue to go further and further and further away from God until you decide to find a loving way to try to help them see how God created them. Because here's the reality. I don't, I don't, I'm not going to preach for a God who makes mistakes. It's not, it's not a judgmental statement. I know you can mention term. You can say, well, you can say it's not all you want to, but that's pretty judgmental to me. That's, that, 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 that pretty much sounds pretty mean and spirited to me. It's not my intention. If that's the way you feel, I'm sorry. It's not my heart. I'm just saying that I'm so all in with God that when I've got to trust him. I've got to trust him that he's got my back in every aspect.